We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 525 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Hilton, and he's Pablo Wolves Blanco of BBC Cornwall and the new Mesque Un Podcast, reviving the old name of our good friend Rafael de Mui's old show that was in Spanish. But this one is in English as a weekly compliment to all the English speakers out there. And you know what I always say, there's more than enough room for everybody in this English-speaking Barcelona content. So instead of seeing a competitor... I wanted to have him on the show, let him plug it, let him know that he is more than welcome here in this new space. So welcome not only to the show, Pablo, but in terms of making Barcelona English-speaking content, I'm excited for you. Uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, um, obviously, could, you could frame it as a competitor with what me, John, and Borg are doing, but we just wanted to get started. We did previously the Engine Room podcast, I don't know if anyone saw that, and that was sort of European football, but we thought we were running out of time a bit. And we all we all love Barcelona, all Barca fans, and we often found ourselves in that podcast talking for about half an hour of the hour segment on Barca. So we thought, why not, you know, make it a bit shorter and get an episode out a week where we can just come together on a Sunday night and talk all things Barca. And that's what we went for. So yeah, like like you said, you know, Mesco on podcast. If people want to go and find that, that'll be great. Show the support. But yes, again, thank you for having me on. And like you said, BBC Cornwall, of course, I'm here in the based in the UK to doing some stuff. So yeah, real pleasure to be on. Thank you very much. Well, I always let people know a little bit more than I probably should about under the hood stuff with, especially with podcasting and stuff like that. And you know, there, there's good and bad of it. You open up, you know, opening up the hood is that when you talk just about FC Barcelona, as I've been doing for almost a decade, it's a niche and you have your audience and you kind of get stuck there. <laughs> if you want to talk about anything else, people don't listen to me anymore. And so if I tweet about anything, it's not Barcelona. People are like, well, I don't really care what you have to say because you are who you are. But in the same way, the people that listen to this show and watch my stuff and have been a part of this community, again, it's, it's something that you didn't, you won't trade for the world. So anyway, people are listening because they want us to talk about FC Barcelona. So we're going to do that here. I know it feels like we just had an international break, but after Athletic Club, Champions League, and Real Madrid, I think it's a great thing that Barca don't have anything midweek right now. That's why you and I are here talking on this Wednesday. So giving the team time to finally train together and work to get everybody back and everything before we also see that on the weekend. So that means we're talking a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, it's kind of like more grab, grab bag type of show. And I think, I know it was a few days ago, but let's start with Gundogan's comments from after El Clasico. He said that, and I'm not even paraphrasing, he was in, it was in English, so it's, it's, it, there's no translation needed. He said that he, quote, wished the, hurt, the loss hurt his teammates more than it did. He said that, quote, 
He wanted to see more frustration and more anger and more disappointment from his teammates. And he said that, quote, he didn't come here to Barcelona to lose these types of games. So obviously, those are pretty strong statements from one of your leaders. And I think you're probably going to agree with me here, but it's a far cry from even last season or two years ago when they put 16, 17-year-old Pedri out. They're like, hey, can you make can you make this loss make any sense for the media? And it's much different when you have a Champions League winning 33-year-old saying, hey, I don't like that this isn't the worst day of our lives. Yeah, no, no, you're right. And, and I think actually it's a sort of thing that I think we all would have loved to have happened after Anfield or after Bayern Munich. I think this is what everyone I think was saying at the time. The dressing room's weak. They don't care enough. That team isn't fighting enough. And we all said that with maybe Valverde and Setien's teams towards the end of time. Now with Xavi's team, it's different in a way. It's a very young squad. And maybe Gundogan's come from that Champions League winning team under Pep. He's come into his Barca dressing room. He's just got the back of a really frustrating game where, of course, he's scored the opening goal for Barcelona. It's a game I think we will agree Barcelona shouldn't have lost with the position they were in. They did. And we all know Real Madrid can do that. And I actually watched the rest of Gundogan's interview and he said, in the other bit of it, he said, it's so frustrating because we knew not to let them do that. He said, we spoke about it, not to let Real Madrid, you know, stay in the game and pick us off. And it's exactly what we let them do. So that's even more frustrating. But I think for Gundogan's point of view, he's probably come into that dressing room at the end of the game. This is my interpretation of it. And he's probably seen a few players. We don't know names. I think we heard some other reports in the next few days. And maybe there were two players laughing and joking on their phone. We will never know that, you'd imagine, unless he comes out on a podcast in 20 years time or whatever who we may have been, maybe seen more relaxed, more, ah, it's just one game, you know. Well, we can still win La Liga, we can still do this, we can still do that. And maybe from where he's come from, he expects that high standard. And to be fair, that is a high standard that there should be at Barcelona. There certainly should be that. There should be an angry dressing room, a disappointed dressing room, a dressing room that's willing to fight and go again next week and make sure that sort of thing, that sort of thing doesn't happen many times. But there's the other side of it too, where it's almost like two, three years ago, like I said, I would have been... All behind Gundogan, I would have said, you are absolutely spot on. This dressing room is weak. These players are not fighting. You know, we're not working hard enough. Now, I actually think that this team under Xavi does fight, is what I will say. I actually think we've got the mentality right this time around. I think the team has changed massively. I think Barcelona are on the right track. I think Xavi cares. I can tell the players care. You can see they're frustrated at losing. Look, maybe not enough. There may have been some who... And we, like I said, we won't, we won't know names. Maybe there were some who, who looked less disappointed than others, and that's frustrated Gundogan. But I actually think this Barcelona team does care. It does have desire. So I don't think it's like a massive issue that he's bringing up. But maybe from him, to be fair, he's come in and he sees things in a different way where he feels, hang on a minute, after a defeat like that, I don't care if you're trying to put things into context and say that, OK, it's just one game or we can still win La Liga. We should still be bloody annoyed right now. And maybe if he saw a few players who weren't thinking the same thing, that's frustrated him. Look, I think it's a healthy thing for him to say. I think the club would agree, the technical staff, the players would agree. And it's good to have a leader like that. Ultimately, it's one of the reasons we bought Gondogan, right? Because we knew he's a leader, he's a winner. He's, you know, captain at City, winning the treble. Brilliant for the, to have a player like that in our ranks. So I think well done to him for saying it. It's good maybe to, you know, kick up a few of the players' arse in a way, maybe just get them fired up. But at the same time, I would say, I wouldn't have said this three years ago, but I would say I think Barcelona are on the right track mentality-wise and that that is a team under Xavi that does care. 100%. It's like I always say, like you have to keep multiple things in your brain at the same time, which in this case would be that, one, as you said, the team did fight. There's desire. There's a lot more of that than we saw for the last season and a half. 
And, and not only that, but one of those main reasons is that when people, we're going to talk about Ter Stegen in a second here. He's topic number two. But when we're talking big picture about Xavi and Ter Stegen being good enough in big games, and we'll, we'll, again, we'll get to those bigger topics. But when we're talking about the likes of big games and big moments and things like that, I think the depth of the squad and the inexperience in these big moments, I think is still holding true. And I think exists. And I think that's kind of to the point of what the German is saying, that we need to be better in these big moments. Like this is a team capable of that. And it's almost like inexperience and team depth finding out that they are good enough for that. Well, team depth is something that you can't replace. It takes January transfer windows and, and summer transfer windows and money that Barcelona doesn't have to fix that problem. So not to say that that continues to be an excuse, but it's this weird thing where it's like, I don't want to always have that out and say, well, that's why they didn't, they didn't not win El Clasico because of depth, but they could have won El Clasico with five or six starters missing. That would have potentially happened. And that was close to happening. And, and, and you said, too, it doesn't really matter about who he was talking about, but it is a, a more that he's fair to say what he said. And the team is on its way to getting to where it needs to be. But yeah, to be hurt and frustrated. And I will say, too, the, the last thing here is that there, not to make a generalization, but obviously we know that the way that I've done a, enough dabbling with both German and Spanish to know that in German, it's just the way of speaking is much more direct. And so I think about PK's interview after Bayern, the Bayern Munich loss, right? And it's just the way that Spanish and Catalan are spoken is much more diplomatic after losses. And it, it, it's, it, Sidlow always has these great paraphrases on, on how it, it is a little more, I don't know, judicious and diplomatic is the word I'm going to stick with. When you hear these, especially Messi even too, when Messi would on the occasion do an interview if he was disappointed or something, it's just still, it's always diplomatic, even when his heart is ripped out of his chest after a South American qualifier. But when you have a German then speaking in English, it's just it's going to be direct. It's going to be to the point. And that is just, again, the, the nature of, of language. So I don't want to disparage his comments, but I want to say that, you know, if if Messi had ever learned English and spoken after Liverpool, like I guarantee you, you would have heard the exact same thing. He would have said, like, we're, we're not happy about this. This is an anger that I'm that I'm, I'm trying to deal with and and the things like that. And they, they are professionals there. Do you have another word on that? Or do you want to move to Ter Stegen? Uh, no, I think you're right. I, th- I think like, just to summarize, I think, yeah, he's. You're right, he's upset about the inexperience of the team. We keep seeing it. And yeah, I think it's a good point you make about actually about the German because they, they just have a different way of, of presenting it. Actually, I think we saw a bit of that with the Dutch actually. I think De Jong is quite frank in his interviews. Ronald Koeman is quite frank in his interviews. I think we actually saw that. So you're, you're definitely right, yeah? Yeah. So speaking of that German in Ter Stegen, let, let's talk about uh, another German. And the concerns that kind of came up after a classico with him on the Jude Bellingham, I wasn't sure where to go with this. And not to make an excuse for Ter Stegen either, but... I was never a goalkeeper and I also never played at the highest level. So I was never a goalkeeper. And I think the worst thing to do is speak for goalkeepers. Cause I, I know even when I was in secondary school, right. And, and, and right before the, the, the college area here in the, the U S where if you put me in goal still at the age of 17, 18, I'm like, I don't want to be here. Like, I don't, this is not a place that is comfortable to me. And I don't know what you're supposed to be doing here. So unless you're a goalkeeper, I think that's the one position, which is like, we don't know, but those concerns about Ter Stegen, and not even if he's good enough, but if he's the goalkeeper that can rise to the occasion in the highest games. Because the last time he truly did that was like 2015 even in the Champions League. That was the last time when I could admit to people that it was like big moment Ter Stegen. But I was looking through my notes here. And this season, unlike last year, with the Ballon d'Or ceremony, he was sitting there. Of course, the meme of him with Jude Bellingham or whatever and, and all that stuff. But with Ter Stegen, he was sitting in that seat because he was one of the best. I know he wasn't, they didn't say he was one of the best, but he was one of the best three goalkeepers in Europe last season. That's what he was. And this season to begin the year, he has not been. And that criticism, I think it's fair. Like, again, just looking through my notes here, I have 
El Clasico. Oh, I just wrote bad or good here. That's a little bit redact- reductive, but you get the point. El Clasico. Could he have saved Bellingham's long-range shot if he went with the other hand? People were questioning that. Maybe. Again, Shakhtar Donetsk. The one goal that was scored, he could have shut down that angle better. Bad. Athletic Club, 45 plus one, kick save. Keep a game, one nothing. Or, sorry, 0-0. Good moment. Porto, foot save on Wendell in the 64th minute before that game was put away. 71st minute with the glove on the dive. Good moment. Granada, Brian Zaragoza, probably beat him on the angle twice. Bad, not good. Mallorca, bad. He was bad with his feet. That was his, that was his one stinker this year. Bad with his feet, bad against the counter. This is a bad game. Betty's good. Really good save before halftime. Also a terrific pass that, that, that he gets out of the back to create something from the back using his feet. Good there. Same thing against Osasuna. I had both good and bad. His passing was bad in that game, but his shot stopping was important and good for Barcelona to get a result against Osasuna. And then against Cadiz, who were playing in that, you know, that high line, uh, not high line, but that, that high press, his composure and his, he had a long pass that led to the goal that kind of broke the game open for the 2 nothing to Ferran Torres from Lewandowski, and that was good with his feet. So there are two parts of Ter Stegen. Shot stopper, is he elite? I don't think anyone would say he, he is, but as far as all-around goalkeeper, and it's funny that he did this for FC Barcelona too. You saw that, that thing he did where he answered like athleticism and he went through the goalkeepers. Didn't mention Neuer for a single one, but <laughs> mentioned himself for like two or three of them. But anyway, the point is for Ter Stegen here, it's like, this year has been good and bad. Is that mean? I don't know. It's so hard to judge goalkeepers. How, which goalkeepers would be better than him this season? I mean, I'm, that's not the question I'm asking you. I'm asking you to, to comment on this, but it's a rhetorical question. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention, 
Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I'm actually a big Tostegan fan. I am. I think I, I, I can't look people in the eye and tell them that he hasn't been poor in some big moments of Barcelona because you can't sit there with a straight face and say it. And that is upsetting in a way. That is a shame. You look at, I'm just thinking actually back now to some of Anfield, even Roma, Bayern Munich again, the Classico recently. You know, he hasn't covered himself with glory. Um, I think you should have saved that Bellingham shot, by the way, especially a goalkeeper of his calibre. Um, so that's that's definitely upsetting. But I, I would say that, in my opinion, last season, to stay was the best goalkeeper in Europe. Um, I actually would say that. I think, And I think he's a good captain for Barcelona. He's a... He's a leader, and I actually think he was probably one of the ones in that dressing room a few years ago. We thought, hang on a minute, there are a few too many passengers here. I think he was actually probably one of the ones that I that I was still quite a big fan of. I mean, I thought he can carry on to the next generation. He can lead these young players, which he's doing now. So I like his character. I think he's the perfect goalkeeper for Barcelona, actually. You mentioned a few of his errors this season, and he has dropped off this season compared to last season, I would say that. And his big game record is still a problem. I would agree with that. And I suppose that comes into the question, whereas, well, can he be considered the best in the world if that keeps happening? My answer would be that I think he is good enough in almost every game um, to be considered it. But, of course, it's a problem for Barcelona to be the captain as well. And I'm not, I'm not sure if he is the leader we need for this young group of players, but I think he would be one of the ones I would have put forward. So I'm glad that he's got the armband now for almost every game with Sergio Roberto Betty playing. So look, I'm a big Testegan fan. I think he is the goalkeeper for Barcelona, but I completely get why people get frustrated and upset with him in, in big games because it keeps happening. On the weekend was the same. Shouldn't have let in that goal against Bellingham for me and that changes the game. It's a, it's too far out. Has to go the other hand. It's one of those, but actually, it's, it's a rifle from Bellingham, but he could have got even got over there quicker and palmed it away. So, you know, it's, it's a really frustrating goal to concede actually out of nowhere, really. And when you look at the replay, it looks even worse. In lifetime, I thought, wow. Yeah, but then you, think, you think, you know, he could have done better. So I understand the frustration. I think there's been too much frustration. I've seen a lot of abuse for him on social media the last few days where I think, oh, wow, you know, after some of the performances he put up last season, by the way, conceding that few goals, I mean, I, I wouldn't have given him that much stick, but I think it, it, it comes from an accumulation of big moments of Barcelona, him slipping up at, at times, and I understand the frustration. That is still the frustration of the fan base, right? We might be doing well on a week-to-week basis, but a big moment comes up, we can't go over there in the Champions League or in Europe or in La Liga, and if he's, you know, uh, uh, you know, partly at fault for that, then, of course, all of the bricks are going to come down on him, so I understand that. Yeah, I mean, I think when we're talking about Xavi and Ter Stegen, the metaphor I would use is it feels like we're in a dark room and we know that there's a light switch in the room 
And we got to hit that light switch on. And that's how I feel about both Ter Stegen and Xavi and about like, we'll say the timeline that people have for them, where it's like the, if we can hit that light switch in some undeterminable amount of time and everybody, every individual fan has their own timeline, has their own patience, has their own amount of time before they're saying, I've had enough with this. And that's why we obviously roll our eyes at the people who already with Xavi in 2021 were like, bah, he's never going to, you know what I mean? Like those are guys we don't listen to because they're not patient enough to so to, to wander around in the dark, <laughs> you know, when, when Barcelona is building something and doesn't have any money. And obviously to take this metaphor farther, like the more money the club has, the easier it is to find the, the light switch, whatever you want to say. But in the case of Ter Stegen and Xavi, it's like if Barcelona, you know, they don't win the big games and they're not a big game manager or a big game goalkeeper until that light switch is flipped on. But you never know when that's going to happen. We're waiting around in the dark. And this season, not saying you don't know, but you don't know. I mean, Barcelona could win the treble. Like everything is still totally possible this year. And then if Barcelona win the treble, then everyone's going to change their tune. And I think people believe that, you know, I think that is that positive, uh, that unnecessary optimism or pessimism where it's like, obviously there's a lot of people who are like, I don't think we're going to find the, the light switch this year in those big games. And I think that's a fair belief to have. But it, again, it's also like, you don't flip that switch until you do. And then if Barcelona did win everything or win, uh, not even the Champions League, but if they do win the Liga again, and they get to the quarterfinal, the semifinal of the Champions League, and they clearly show that they're building something and they're closer, you know, they're on the right wall. They know the light switch is there. Are people still willing to kind of say, yes, Ter Stegen is going to be our guy when we finally climb the mountain and Xavi will be our man when we finally climb that mountain. And those are difficult things to do. And this is a good transition, by the way, I'm pat myself on the back here, because we're, we're going to talk about somebody who has not only flipped the switch, but switch, flipped every switch she possibly could in Aitana Banmati, because we're going to talk about the Ballon d'Or here with her, because that is exactly the kind of a situation with the Barca Femini. I was like, I mean, they're, when I saw them in 2019, Lusa Leon, you're like, I mean, Leon, Wolfsburg, like they're just so far behind. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, they're all conquering and an all time women's side. I mean, now, now it's Leon, then Barcelona, like they've surpassed. Wolfsburg and any other team in women's history that has tried to be there. I mean, it is now Lyon and their dynasty, and then FC Barcelona. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and, and what and what the feminine have done has been great. And you're right about that. I mean, even recently, I think even after they've won one, as it all got to the final one, they lost again. I believe was it three one in the final. To Lyon, then, yeah. You know, Chelsea, and now that they, they are the team for me in women's football, and we see what Aitana's doing. She's almost you know overtaken Alexia. I know it with injuries and whatnot for Alexia, but. She's sort of become like the, the best, right? And you could see sort of see her growing up through the ranks too. But it, it does link to the men's team in that way where it's like, well, can Barcelona flip it? And with Champions League, actually, Champions League is a is a very it's a very interesting competition where it, you almost don't need to play your best football in it. So it can sort of just switch in a way and all of a sudden you're in the semi-finals and you're building something. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're the best team in your country by any stretch of the imagination, but but it means that you're close. I remember Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea, Manchester City were, were by far the best team in England that year. You know, but but Tuchel's Chelsea just built something in the Champions League. They just became that hard to beat, and they won the trophy like, deservedly. In the end. they just well, they just cruised past everyone almost. So you know that could happen in Champions League football. I think Barcelona is the sort of team that probably would need to play really well as well as win it. But still, that that could happen in the next years. And I think, of course, this year everyone's looking at the Champions League. We can't get away from that. But we've got the the easy group, if you like. We're in a comfortable spot, and we have to go through. You know, we will be winning that group, you know, unless, unless a disaster happens, really. And then it comes to the round of 16, the quarterfinals. Well, can Barcelona go away to a ground and compete? Can Xavi turn up in a big game? And when it's going gets tough, we go 1-0 down, we go 2-1 down. Can we still go through them at the best teams in the world, but like Real Madrid would? 
that's when the question marks come. So we're still waiting to see that. And of course, the more it keeps happening, the more we keep failing. I understand the question marks are coming up, but I will say that the place we're in now compared to where we were a few years ago, and we were just looking at we were only heading in one direction. I think the revolution's been brilliant. I really do. I take my hat off to all of them. Xavi, Laporta, the players, and they got it the signing spot on. And Barcelona are in a much better spot. But they have to compete in the Champions League. They have to prove it in Europe in the toughest moments. When the going gets tough, they have to show that grit that the best team in the world do. It can't always be plain sailing for us to go through. So, of course, all the fans are waiting to see that. Yeah, I mean, it is where I get a little bit apologetic about how I've, I said against athletic clubs, like they didn't play their best and they got the three points and I'm fine with that. Like I can live with that. And it is one thing to play not your best and get three points against even athletic club or Cadiz or whoever it may be and a point against Osuna or whatever and not play your best. But it's another thing to not play your best and then, as you said, still make the quarterfinal, still make the semifinal. And we have not seen Barcelona not play their best and make that next round for a long, long time. I think the last time I want to say they did that was, was it 20, again, 2019, I think in that run against Lyon where like they, they were better than Lyon, but like they weren't that much better than Lyon. Like they were just, they were good enough and they got past them and they were like, okay, well, Barcelona on paper with a far superior team. All right. So I do want to go on this little Itana thing here. I want to give credit, not only to her, but kind of (laughs) say how, if you're a fan of the Femini and then you look at the men's team, I understand some of your disappointment, but, I kind of get to know Aitana here. I, I was reading a, quite a bit about her after this this Ballon d'Or win. And it's even more incredible because <laughs> we're going to do Messi next. So hold, hold the horse on that. But there's always a debate about the men's Ballon d'Or. And with the women's Ballon d'Or this season, there was a 0% chance that Aitana Banmani was not the best player in the world. To the point where I wonder if this season that she just had can be replicated. 18 goals, 21 assists in 37 games for Barca, three goals and two assists, and a golden ball in the World Cup. She's the first footballer to win the World Cup, the Champions League, and the Ballon d'Or in the same year. And it is one thing to win everything. It's another thing to do it as the best player on the field. I mean, there when we just talk about big games with the men's team, there is not a single big game that Aitana Banmati has not showed up in since, as you said, that Lyon loss. 3-1 last season, which she also said is the reason why Barca went out and <laughs> killed everybody for that Champions or destroyed everyone to get to the Champions League because of that loss. She also helped to get Rubiales and his cronies removed, just perfectly executed that, you know, d- said, hey, we're going to strike. And so we're going to let you know that we hate this. And then we're going to come to the World Cup anyway, win the whole dang thing, and then use that as grounds to get this this obscenity out, 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 of, out, of, our, out of our lives. And, you know, the, the joy she also brings me just when I watch her play, too, is like I get the same feelings from her that I got from Iniesta, but almost an alpha version of him. Because with Messi and Xavi around, Iniesta was never the guy the way that Aitana is when she is on the field. Like she is the person on the field. But the way that they affect the game, even in their excellence and joy is similar. Like it's not just like they were fun players. It's just like they're excellent, incredible in every way, controlling a game. But also, again, they bring such joy with the ball at their feet and tactical ability and all that stuff. And the the three things I want to add about her, too, is the fact that Barcelona should, as they are rightly doing, the idea of masculine club, you know, as you're naming your podcast after, but the the idea of masculine club, Aitana Badmati, for all of the the corruption and issues in in football and Negreta and all that bad PR, you push Aitana Badmati to the moon in terms of saying, she is the person that represents Barcelona more than any other that I'd heard. I, I, I saw another story about uh, from the Players' Tribune article that I kind of dictated before the World Cup. So I, I don't know if people knew this because I didn't know this. She wanted to leave Barcelona 
because while playing for the U15, she just couldn't see how you could make a living playing football in Spain as a woman, which is true. So she started considering with her parents going to the University of Oregon here in the U.S. to get an education abroad. But then three years later, while playing for the second team, the first team then became professional in 2017. And the following year, she was promoted. So in two years, she went from potentially going to school in the U.S. to becoming a full-time professional at Barcelona. And then years on after that, of course, she's winning the bat on door, standing with Messi, and is considered the best player in the world. And there's other little stories, too, about like when you talk about her values and how Barcelona is a Catalan club and represents those values. So both her parents are retired, but they're retired teachers who spoke Catalan and taught Catalan. So she took her mother's first name, Banmati, which wasn't allowed in Spain until 2000, two years after Aitana was born. And it was a rule that her parents were a part of fighting for and getting, getting across the line in Spain. Like her parents were part of that, that women's rights effort. And then she herself, with all her humanitarian efforts, last year she began working with the UN Refugee Agency in Spain. They arranged football training in Barcelona for female refugees to give them a support network and help them meet people and help them get integrated into culture as a refugee. So she says, and I quote, it's not going to fix the world, but I already think it's improved quite a, a few lives. And again, those are the values. Like that is the person that is supposed to represent FC Barcelona. Like because it is about masculine club. And I think we do roll our eyes a little bit about that with looking at where uh, and, and the ways of which the men's team kind of just, they are whoever they need to be. They say whatever they need to for whoever they need to say with whatever money that they were given to say that thing. But Aitana Manmani, she was semi-professional and this wasn't supposed to happen with the women's game and it's exploded. And so she's still in a position where she's speaking from like, hey, there are things I don't like here and I'm letting you know about those things. Like you're not just propping me up for money because I'm not getting that money. I'm kind of, you know, she's independent to speak for her values and stand up for herself. And I think that part of it is so incredible to me. I, I know I went on a long diatribe there about Aitana Manmati, but she deserved the Ballon d'Or for her work on the field and it could not happen to a have happened to a better footballer off the field. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I actually remember when Aitana was sort of like get, gaining her starting berth about, you know, three, four years ago now, actually. I remember she used to come off the bench in quite a few feminine games I was watching around 2019. And I always thought, that's a, that's a special player coming in there. I think they should start Aitana more. I remember dropping a like, follow on Instagram and Twitter. I thought, I'm going to follow Aitana a bit because I think Aitana could be the one, actually, for Barca Femini. Um, and she just rose up through the ranks. She really has and. What she's doing on the pitch has been superb. You're right about Iniesta. And I mean, I know Chubby's spoken incredibly highly of her before as well. And and you're also right about her being a good ambassador for the club. I mean, I think it's great now with what Barca do with the feminine team, as they should with how much success they've had in getting players like Alexia on the front of the Camp Nou. And I think there's like, on the last Camp Nou, the Spotify one, there were three men's players, three women's players. I think Mafia Leon was on there as well. And maybe Sandra Panyos as well. And so, you know, they do it three and three in a way. And I think it's good to promote with how well we're doing, especially with the women's team. And you're right about her being the best player. I mean, the other one I would have said, Sam Kerr, I think was superb for mm -hmm. Chelsea. Australia is a really, really talented player, by the way. Really, very good, very cool finisher. But Aitana's been absolutely superb. And you're right about everything she's done off the field as well. The, the World Cup is massive, I think, for Spain as a nation, actually, to go and win at the team after everything that happened was, uh, was one of the stories, actually, I think, of the year in football. And, and actually, I'm almost a bit upset with the way it was covered because, in my opinion, they, they covered it far too much from a point of view of talking about the Robiales scandal. And I don't know if that's because of my country, England, they're just poor at covering that thing. It's cause, potentially because they were beaten in the final. Honestly, yeah. it is. It's a little bit. It's a little bit. <laughs> that Spain, you know, with everything that happened, you know, with that, with that looming over, by the way, there are already problems with Jorge Vila, of course, the case hasn't happened yet until they won, obviously, on the podium.
with Jorge Vildar and every, all the players striking to come together and win that tournament, beat England, who everyone, everyone thought were going to win. You know, it's incredible. And then for that, all of that to happen and what they've done off the pitch as well. So what a story for it to only largely be covered in the fact that this bloke kissed one of the players on the podium is, you know, it, not great in my opinion, but maybe that's because they lost. I honestly think it is. But there you have it. That's a separate issue, I suppose. But what Aitana's done has been superb. She really has grown through the ranks in Barcelona, especially with, with Alexia's injury too. I think she's just taken the, 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 the baton, if you like, and really driven that team forward. So, you know, hats off to her. She's been absolutely superb. And as of the feminine team, so, you know, hopefully they go on again this season and, and do it all. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, all that, of course. Uh, Salma also finished third, just 19 years old, finished third in the Ballon d'Or, turns 20 in two weeks. The sky is certainly the limit for her. And then Patri got eighth. Patri would have finished on the podium if she had gone to the World Cup, by the way. Like, if she had won a World Cup, but her and Mappy Leon, you want to talk about values, they stuck to their guns, stuck to their values. And so Patri finished eighth and refused to go to the World Cup. So credit to her. And then the other side, the Messi's Ballon d'Or. It's this weird thing, Pablo. Honestly, I don't really have much to say about it. Like, he won the World Cup. And, you know, with Argentina and he was going to win the Ballon d'Or. Like, I, again, like you go back through history and it's like how many times, whether it's Zidane or Modric or I, I had, I'm going to plug here the Ballon d'Or video I just did last Monday that's still on, on the YouTube channel. I go through it. There, there's kind of, there's six Ballon d'Ors where I say, hey, were they the best player in Europe at the time? And obviously until 1995 or what it was in 1994, you could not be from South America and, and win it. So like the year that Stoichkov won, for what he did for Bulgaria, as well as for Barcelona, people argued that, well, it was Brazil's Romario, who was also a Barcelona teammate, that probably deserved that award. So, I mean, you're disqualifying Pelé and Maradona for, for a lot of times. So it's like the Ballon d'Or, yeah, you start to roll your eyes about it. But even throughout its, all, its entire history, even though in with the European, when it was just the, Euro, the European players, there are times, I believe it was at 1960, uh, one of them, like 68 or something, that uh, somebody from the Czech, uh, Czechoslovakia at the time, but the Czech Republic had won. And then I had to go back and look at his or 1962 you get my point i'm getting lost here watch the video <laughs> you'll get it you'll get it straight i have it all there but the point is there's a number of times where i go were they the best player probably not but then i look at european competition or, i mean international competition you go okay well that's where that word came from and sure there are times where messi won the ballon d'or because of his barcelona stuff and then there are other times when he won it for yeah a, a, a one month long tournament and that being in Argentina winning the World Cup. You could argue that this is maybe the first time he actually did win it based on his international career and not on the back of his club career. Like, this is the first time he's actually done that. And yeah, I mean, again, that's all I have to say. It's just like, was Holland the best player over 12 months? I mean, maybe, but he's also part of a, the best team. Like, I don't know, like that's a best team award for them, sure. And Holland does something really, really well. But I thought Messi, over the course of a season, the highest level that anybody reaches here was, was clearly Lionel Messi. That's number eight. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the Ballon d'Or, I think what people have to realise, and when you, you can look through the rankings every year and you can, you can figure out that those players, in order, they, they aren't the best players in Europe. You know, that's, uh, it's quite clear that obviously there's certain players in there, you know. I, I don't think you can call Julian Alvarez one of the you know, top 10, 15 players. And Yassine Bono, Emi Martinez, for me, neither of those were better than Stegen last season, for example. The Ballon d'Or is based on what was the biggest tournament that year. That's just the way it's done. That's the way it was always done. It's why Modric won it in 2018 and we had all the French guys there. It's why it will always be that way. You know, people have just simply have to recognise that and that's the way it's handed out. So I think we all knew you right. Once Messi won the World Cup with Argentina, it was only going one way. It's funny because I actually pro I probably thought once he'd gone to PSG and after his 2019 Ballon d'Or that that was that for Messi. I didn't think he'd win another one. But to win another one, is he 36 now? Is incredible. Ahead of Haaland and Mbappe as well, by the way. Was he the best footballer in Europe this season? Um, or this year, 
I, I, I would potentially say, because I'm a bit of a believer that when Messi plays football, there's no one better, uh, in all truth. And I look back at the Ballon d'Ors that Ronaldo and Modric won. And 2018, for example, Messi was sensational. Okay, so what? Because he went on the round of 16 in the World Cup with a poor Argentina team, and he's not worthy of the Ballon d'Or. I'll never agree with that. I'll never, ever agree with that. And I just know the way that that's the way it's done. For me, the Ballon d'Or should be, who was the best player over the course of the season? And for me, that's why Messi should have over 10 by now, because you you can't look at me with a straight face and say that Messi wasn't the best player for almost every year since 2009, really, because he, he simply walks. You know, there's no one close to him, in my opinion. Um, so we know that's the way the Ballon d'Or's won. For Messi to go and do it now, though, is, is really nice. And just to see him on the podium again at that age, of course, that will be that for him, you know, you'd think anyway, unless he keeps going. But I, I, it just, I think it, he should tie out. I really do. And I, I actually almost hope he doesn't keep going because it would be a bit of a shame if after all of this, he then tries a 2024 Copa America with, with Argentina. They go out at the quarterfinals on penalties to Paraguay or something. And people are thinking, oh, well, that's not quite the fairy tale ending that we had in Qatar. But OK, so I, I would actually like if he tied it up now. Um, but you think that'll be that will be that for him to get eight Ballon d'Ors and his humility. I mean, I think there was they put a little clip on the ceremony. What he's done for football for us Barcelona fans, of course, it's nostalgic. Just the joy to be able to watch Messi on a week-to-week basis was just ridiculous. This season, of course, we saw less of him because he was at PSG in Miami and whatnot. And, but we all saw the way he performed at the World Cup. And again, that is the best player of the world in the world. You see when he plays at the World Cup, there's no one close to him. He is just that good. So really happy for him. And it was a nice moment. He's got so much humility as well, by the way. And I think I saw Ronaldo on social media in the last few days. And oh, I have to mention it. I've always had a lot of admiration for Ronaldo, in fact. I think when I was younger, I was more, obviously, I was team Messi, so I, I hated Ronaldo a bit more. But as I grew older, I thought, you know, what a great athlete, you know, that drive, that ambition, you know, that Ronaldo had. I really respect it, and I still do for what he's done. I think he was an incredible, he is an incredible footballer. He's done an unbelievable lot of things. I never think he was close to Messi. I have to say that. People disagree with that. I, I, in my opinion, I don't think he was close to Messi as a footballer ever. Um but his response, I mean, now he's out in Saudi Arabia, yeah, after the, those seasons he had at Manchester United. And I mean, the way he's commenting on the Instagram posts, I saw the way he was behaving because there were the El Atifa fans were chanting Messi at him and he was telling them to, I can't even, I don't even know if I can swear on this, he was telling them to F off and, you know, kids in the, in the, in the, in the crowd uh, chanting at him and he was getting really like balled up and he was telling them to sub the referee off and, you know, he, he really does. And he's done it a few times. I think the only error he's made is he's based his career too much on being better than Lionel Messi instead of just focusing on himself. He was always obsessed with that. He's made some snarky comments in the past that you just think that puts you down a few pegs, actually, in a few people's estimations. Those are a bit sour. They're a little bit salty. For a player of your kind who claims they have so much self-belief, I think that, I think he's done a few too many comments where you think, oh, that's, that's, that's a bit ugly. That's, that's childish. Um, so I think that's just a stay on him really more than anything but thought I'd add that but on Messi so happy for him always a joy to watch and what a way to end the career it's funny because we talk about legacy like beyond this right and what players do in their twilight of their careers I, it's weird because like it's sometimes it does affect the way we remember these players and it does shape them and I'm a big basketball fan people always know on this podcast and so like my best example of that was like Shaquille O'Neal. Like Shaquille O'Neal played for the the Magic as a young player, then the Lakers and the Heat. And he felt like his legacy was defined. Like Shaq is one of the top probably 10, 12 players in NBA history. And is he a top three center with 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 Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain at that or Queen Abdul Jabbar? So top four, whatever it is. Like where does he fit in all that stuff? Most dominant big man of all time, like in, in, in basketball. 
But yet when he went on that like five-year retirement tour where he did like one year as he got slower and the games was changing around him. And like, I think that did affect as social media and like Twitter. And it just was like a terrible time for him to slow down. So like the first thing that people remembered was like him slowing down. And that almost like makes you forget like what he was. And I think with Messi in the US, to your point, like he's kind of putting, you know, American or, you know, American soccer on his back in a way that's trying to propel that forward. So like, I mean, I could, I could tell you like with major league soccer into Miami was terrible before he showed up, but then missing the playoffs was, I mean, when I say cataclysmic, I mean, cataclysmic for like, at least dialogue, not for like the the money and all the things in the league, but it was like cataclysmic for the way that MLS mattered for a moment. And now it doesn't again. And the playoffs are happening and nobody seems to like, it's not in the zeitgeist right now, which is just like horrifying because it's just like, he's really, as, as the US and Mexico and Canada have the World Cup, he's going to, you know, trying to propel that forward, that on his back in a way that I think to Cristiano Ronaldo's credit is trying to do in Saudi Arabia as well. And and that and Xavi was attempting to do in Qatar and and Iniesta went to Japan, you know, for a little while though too. He was like 33, 34 when he left. Like Iniesta left earlier than or 34, whatever whenever he left. But to legacy, that's interesting. Cause like the example I always say, and I have this on the YouTube channel as well, Johan Cruyff, when you talk about like the 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 if you remember the joke about the pig farming, like he lost a ton of money. Like his career, he was like, Yeah, I'm good, I'm 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 fine. But then he he lost all of this money in a pig farming thing. And he goes, wait a second, I can't retire. I need money. And so he goes back and plays. And like, there is no one in professional football who kind of limps their way to the end until he goes back to Ajax as pretty much a semi-retired player. And then they don't give him another contract. So he goes to Feyenoord and wins the league. <laughs> and it's just like, the so Johan Korf has like been the best, like, as you said, like, you know, there's, there's so much spite in it. And with all those good players, they don't really know when the time is, when their time is done. Like they don't, they just don't know. And so I think Messi with, the thing with Inter Miami, and I, I think there is going to be a soft landing to his uh, domestic career, of course. And I think we're going to be able to remember him as a kind of, you know, like he's going to be on top until he's 38, until he says, yeah, okay, I guess I'm done now, and all that stuff. Let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum here. No real comment. I just want a little almost a PSA. The best young players for Barca you've heard me talking about. I don't get to, well, I'll talk about them at the U17 World Cup in Indonesia. Noah Darvich, who started solely at Barca Athletic, albeit as a 16-year-old, one of the youngest players on the field every time. He will be there with Germany. And then Spain is sending a whole contingent of Mark Guiu, uh, Juan Fernandez, uh, Guim Jeanette, Mark Bernal, Pau Prim, Hector Fort, and Pau Cabarsi. So the players that I, basically the players I keep telling you about, those are the players that are going to the U-17 World Cup, rightly so. Uh, and I think with that talent that that in that Barcelona contingent, Spain should be on paper one of the favorites of this tournament. So I think anything U seventeen is weird though, because kids are kids. Ha- things happen. Like they could literally wake up and they all have the sniffles, and then they lose a game in the quarterfinal to who knows. Like U seventeen World Cup, like you don't say that matters. You know, I mean, how many how many has Mexico won or gotten far to, or how many has Argentina up to that point, right? And then they they weren't able to capitalize on it, and and these things happen. Um, so just keep an eye out for that. I'll try to watch as much as I can of that and give you updates. But next thing now for you, Pablo, Jao Felix. At this point, I was kind of putting off this referendum. And I think because we have like this week long break, it's, it's a good time to do this. We're in November, start of November, November 1st today. Would you look to invest in Jao Felix at this stage of his loan? I never thought I'd say this, but yes, honestly, Dan, I, I really wasn't a Jao Felix fan. Um, I just thought he's not a Barcelona player. I, I didn't rate his attitude. And actually, I thought people only talked about his attitude and didn't talk about enough the, the, the fact that he didn't do enough on the pitch either. Having said that, 
I think he's been brilliant for Barcelona. I put Cancelo in there too, by the way, as well. But I think Felix is... I was going to ask about him next, but... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder whether he was, so I just paused. I think Felix has elevated Barcelona's attack to another level. Um, I really do. I think he's given us the player on the left that we've been looking for. He links up fantastically with Lewandowski. He's scoring goals. He's creating chances. He, he, when he gets the ball, I just feel like something's going to happen. I think I said it on Twitter after the the Athletic Bilbao game. Of course, we were missing so many players. It was a makeshift Barcelona team, if you like. We were, you know, as you know, with so many injuries, a bit flat out on our feet up there. But that was a sort of game where I feel like we just got the ball to Jao and he was just making everything happen. You know, it's like a sort of... It reminded me of one of those performances, the name I used to have when Messi was out injured, where we thought, oh, in 2015-16, where it was like, get the ball to him and he's going to make things happen. I think he got the assist for the dual goal, didn't he, as well. So I've actually been really impressed with Felix, a player that, like I said, I wasn't that big of a fan of attitude-wise. I didn't hear good things. And actually, performance-wise, I just thought, how much do you actually bring... And maybe that will still come true come the end of the season. Maybe this was a purple patch for it because, again, I will say, didn't do much in the Classico. You know, it was pretty ineffective, in my opinion. Really barely touched the ball. Um, so, you know, maybe it will still come in the end of the season. He's only got five goals, seven assists, and we think, yeah, for how much Atletico will ask, really? So that will still be a question for us. But at the moment, if you said, would you want to keep Felix next season? I would, because I don't think we've got another player like him in the squad. And I think he's elevating our attack to a new level. I didn't know how much football he'd play. But I think he's, his attitude is really good. He's got desire in his game, hunger, winning the ball back. It looks really good, really good for Barcelona. I've been super impressed, I have. Yeah, it, you know, there's that meme, you know, that Kermit the Frog meme with the, the hood where he has a black, right? And you're saying, your inner self is saying that thing. I'm about to do that to myself because I've so long have been a fan of Ansu Fati. I have been, I will refuse to sell my Ansu Fati stock. I refuse. I'm holding on to it forever. You can't take it off of me. However, however, there is that hooded Kermit the Frog inside of me that's saying, what is Barcelona's next season best option on the left wing? What is possible for them? Well, who is their best player there? Lamine Ball is right-footed. And Rafinha can only play on the right. Ferran Torres does not succeed on the left wing. And Vitor Roque, who's coming in, he, whether it's January or the summertime, he can play off of that, but he's not. Like He is a number nine. It's not like when 16-year-old Ansu you're saying, well, eventually he might be a number nine, but right now he's a left winger. That's before injuries, of course. But no, Vita Roque is an 18-year-old number nine. Like that, that is what he is. That's where he's most comfortable. Um, so Vita Roque doesn't really solve your problem in the left wing either. And then the question would be, would Xavi go back to that box midfield to have Pedri and Gundogan up top and Gabi and De Young all on the field together? Because I think we're going to find out for the rest of this season that actually says a lot about Gabi. And in two months, all of what can change, where I know people say we don't want to lose what Gabi provides upfield, but... The way he's affected this game from deeper positions, if Pedri and Gundogan are now in front of him and De Young is next to him, why not? Why can't Gabi just play in a deeper position and double pivot and you play in that box midfield? Like It creates more problems because Barcelona overall under Xavi has been better with a left winger, regardless, like no matter what. like Even though you say, is Jao Felix better than Pedri? No. like No, he's like, no, Pedri's a better player than Jao Felix. But when I say about the Hoods thing, I go back to it that when I say who's on that left wing, is 25-year-old... Ansu Fati, better than 25-year-old Jao Felix. Like, who has a higher ceiling? And I always said it was Ansu Fati, but I agree with you. I was worried about Jao Felix and his attitude and, like, what kind of player he is, where he fits, and just how he felt like he was, not say unnecessary, but he, was, he had a lot of tricks in his boots, but not a lot of purpose. And he's kind of proved me wrong, that he does have purpose and he does make sense. And I think there's a part of me that's saying, I think 25-year-old Jao Felix in, what, two years' time or 
yeah, he's 23 or whatever right now. So two years time, 25-year-old Jeff Alex is better than 25-year-old Ansu Fati is my great fear, obviously. But I think that what's, that what is what might be true. So if you can sell, and then, then that's where the number comes into play. If you sell Ansu Fati for 30 to 40 million and, and Atletico Madrid is asking 50 million for Jao Felix next summer and, and Barca do have the money to do it because they have a lot of other issues too. But you're also looking around the rest of it, right? I mean, building a squad is tough, but have Barcelona invested in youth in a way that they've set themselves up for success? Because you're, you're, if you do find a way to get Cancelo for 20 nil or whatever it is over the summer as well, you know, and now, now you're looking around and saying, as I've said many times before, I know that Oro Romeo isn't the answer, but if your double pivot is De Young and Gavi even for next season and you solidified that this year, and then Mark Bernal at 17 is like, well, actually, we can put him on the bench sometimes. Like, this kid might be good. I'm not saying he's good enough, but I'm saying is like, what if he is good enough? What if him or Pau Prim or Mark Casado or whatever is good enough to be your backup along with another year of Oro Romeu? And then at right back, you're going, well, Junior Rajo is having a great loan so far at Los Palmas. And what if he does have a great loan at Los Palmas and is ready to be your backup? And if he's not, then Hector Fort might be at 18, ready to get some minutes, right? And now you're like, well, maybe your depth is actually much better next season than it was even this year. And you're not worrying about that because the Academy is working in conjunction with, with the finances. So I don't know, like if you have 20 mil to spare, maybe, you know, having a left winger and bring in a left winger who's been successful might not be the worst idea. And again, just like you, I cannot believe I'm saying that two months in with Jao Felix when you're right. He's like, he's not scoring goals, but I've said with, with Jao Felix and Cancelo, they look tired right now to me. Like they've played two minutes since they arrived. Like I want them to take a break. Like this week, I expect Jao Felix, like hot take, because we also see that our last thing to do. Hot take for also see that. I do think Jao Felix is going to come out firing. I think he's going to have a really good match because the first week that he has had a week-long break where he hasn't traveled for international duty or had double matches since he arrived at FC Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think he's been quality. I just say he's one of these players who when he gets the ball, I'm thinking something's going to happen here. So I think you're right. Really big game for Barca, as you said. We'll get onto it in a moment. Um, but, you know, we need him to have a big performance. We need to have a big performance ourselves. It's a must-win game already. Um, Ansel Fati, I mean, God, everyone wants, everyone wants him to do well. I just think when you get loaned out from Barcelona, I don't know if you ever come back. It's one of those things. A loan from Barcelona is not a loan like any other club, in my opinion. It just means we almost want to ship you off. And especially with the way Jao Felix is performing. They've both got the same agent. Like you said, I can see Ansel being sold for 30, 40 million this summer. And if Barcelona can get a good premium on, on Felix, I think they do it. If he keeps up this form, he has to keep it up and then we keep going. But you're right, I, I actually think we've got depth. Of course, we need to sort the, the pivot position. That is a position of, of, of genuine worry. I actually agree with that. Um, Romeo, I thought would actually be a good stopgap. Maybe he still will be for some moments, but maybe it's learning when, when to use him and when not to. We're probably getting the harsh reality of that quite early on, aren't we? Only at November. So we'll see how he does in the remainder of the seasons. But we've, La Masia is such a, good, such a good place to get talent through, of course, as we know. It just provides constantly, and they always fit... The Barcelona mold perfectly that new signings maybe can't. So I'm sure that's something Chavi will, will keep looking at in the next few years. But yeah, at the moment, Felix and Cancelo for me have, have really been good, uh, even better than I thought. I knew Cancelo would be good because he's a he, he's a quality player, and I always thought he's a right back for Barcelona. So to be able to get him was was brilliant. He's proving himself too. But Felix is the one I think who's uh, surprising everyone. So I'm, I'm really happy for him. Yeah, uh, as I said, when you talk about the depth and stuff, I I can say doing this seven eight years like. I would never have been really, really, really been watching the U17 World Cup. Like I would have been following along on, on social media or, you know, or seeing the highlights or like, hey, check in on the Barca kids. Did they play 90 minutes? Did they see the field? Like, where are they playing? 
But now I'm like going to be looking for watching the U17 World Cup because these are all kids that I mean, some of them have already been on the bench with you know, and, and Mark Mark yeah, you are like already won three points for Barcelona. So it's like these U17 players are now already for FC Barcelona. So it's like, well, I actually have to watch these on the fringe of the first team players like, again, including Mark Brunel, who's just like the starter. Like he's he's a consummate starter for Barca Athletic and one of Rafa Marquez. Like again, it was those examples. Where it was like, oh, the surprise kid, the 16 year old who was with the Cadet Oz U16s last year is now playing with with Rafa Marquez. Like you know, what kind of role do we have? How many minutes will he play? He's a, he's locked in in pen in the starting lineup, and he's been one of the best players this year. It's the same thing as Kubarsi. Like every time he's on the field for Barca Athletic, him and and, and Mikhail Faye, like who I was worried about acclimating coming in and i'm watching barca athletic i'm like they're good like those are the players like those are the ones who stand out and no offense to some of the other guys like like moya the guys who were brought in to kind of you know be supplemental but the supplemental players are supplemental and the teenagers are the best players for barca athletic and i don't care else like this time around barca athletic there are other times when i guess oh yeah i mean if they were in the second division that'd be more experienced these kids are getting the experience they need and they're going to be ready to contribute right away. Now, again, they're all away, so they're going to be gone from Real Sociedad, which our last thing to talk about. And I was looking at this, you know, I as much as I was happy about the three points against Athletic Globe, and as much as I was trying to mitigate the frustration about El Clasico, we also see that as now a must-win. Real Madrid and Girona are four points ahead, and Atleti is one point ahead with a game in hand, and on the longest winning streak in the league at six games right now, Real Sociedad sits in fifth with 19 points. Frankie de Young and Pedri will both be able to play, but in the best case scenario, they will only be able to play 20 to 25 minutes. And if Barca's up big, they won't probably won't see the field at all, except for maybe the final five, 10 minutes to put their cleats on. So it is it is kind of frustrating because I feel like Barcelona, they picked up their first loss. They took their first loss of the season on the weekend of Real Madrid. But yet, one weekend later, if you go down seven points in, in November, it's like, it's not impossible, but seven is a lot, lot different than four. And so we, uh, we also see that becomes must win. I mean, even six, six is a lot more than, than four uh, when it comes to the league of table, because uh, that's multiple results against rivals. That's hard to do. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I actually think we were in a similar sort of spot last season. 
Loft at Nancy got 3 1 in the Bernabeu. And then I think our next two games, I'm not sure the order, it was Athletic Club and Villarreal. Uh, we're on both of the Camp Nou. We, we, beat, we won both. I think it was 3 0 and 4 0. And I remember going into those games thinking, if we draw and lose this, La Liga's done. But we dealt with them really well. We got six massive points there. And then you start turning the corner. You put the pressure back on Real Madrid. You say, we're not going anywhere. You're right. If we don't win this game, we're in a, we're in a big, big spot of bother. But if we, if we do win it, it's not only a statement win that gets you know fans back on the side against the players thinking we've just beat a super good team, which, by the way, La Real really are. Mm-hmm. Plenty of quality. And they're a side who will hurt us big time if we're not defensively sound, which we haven't been in recent weeks. Um, but it'll put Barcelona in a really good place. It'll be a statement win for us. And it will, of course, get us you know, close to Real Madrid again. So we have to win the game. And that's maybe not the best place to come into. It's maybe a game you think, take the point, and that'll be a valuable point at the end of the season. We don't have that liberty right now to be able to take, unfortunately. So Barca have to win. Uh, they know they have to. You said we've got players coming back. Like Rafinha will be key. I think Lewandowski is going to be starting. Like you said, Pedri and De Jong probably off the bench. Jules Koundé could start. Massive player for Barca so far this season. So players are coming back. Squad's getting stronger. Um I think it's going to be a really, really good game, by the way, because La Real are a quality team as well. Actually, one of the best to watch in Spain, having a good campaign in Europe too, and the Champions League. But I've been a big fan of some of their players for years now. I think Take Kubot is a quality player, of course, from La Masia. On the right-hand side, he's really, really fun to watch. Very, very good with the ball at his feet. Mikel Merino as well is a player I'm a big fan of in midfield. Oyar Zabal is now back. I think he scored two on the weekend. They drew two all. Um, Zuba Mendy. So... Zubi Mendy is a quality player. You're right. I mean, the list goes on. Really quality. Very comfortable with the ball at their feet. Alguacil is a quality coach. Mm-hmm. Thankfully for Barcelona, I often think the teams that play well, we do quite well against because they want to come out. They want to play their own style. And that means they leave gaps. If you leave gaps against some of the players Barcelona have, you're going to be in trouble. Often it's the teams who sit in, can counter-attack with one or two quality forwards that will hurt us more. You see it constantly. It's why we beat Real Betis 5-0 at the Camp Nou. Often. We often put five past Betis at the Camp Nou because they'll come out and play. They leave gaps. La Real will be 4-1 uh, at Anoeta last season. So I'm hoping that happens again where they try and play. And obviously, you know, it, it also means we've got to make sure that we do defend well when they attack because they're going to be attacking with so much quality. But it means they will leave our spaces down the other end. That's what I'm hoping for. So I'm moving for a really expansive game of football. Saturday night should be a great one. I'm actually really excited for it. I want to see Barca play again. Um, and I'm hopeful for three points. And of course, if we get the three points, it'll be a statement win. So, yeah. Yeah, and kind of bringing this one full circle as we put it to bed, that going back to all the way to, to, to go to one's comments at the beginning, that this is a response that you want to see from this FC Barcelona, right? Like you lost El Clasico, you got a week to lick your wounds and you're getting healthier. So this is the this is the match. You come out and you take care of business and you, and you go after it. And I do want to answer one quick question that I, I've been getting about Girona, about you know, people, I've been talking about Jonathan now for a few seasons and what they're building. And of course, they have the backing of the city group and plays with players on loan, things like that. And Alex Garcia was probably the best player in Spain in October. I mean, just terrific. And they've they've managed uh, Savio and all those different storylines I've, I've talked about with Girona. But as far as calling them title contenders, not to say that I'm kind of looking past them and I keep mentioning Real Madrid and I keep mentioning Atletico Madrid, but we also see Dad and Valencia and Villarreal. Like we have seen other teams in Spain been in the top three, two, four in recent seasons and for the last 10, 15, 20 years, uh, or even historically. It's January and February. That little run there is where these teams fall off. That is where their depth kind of gets exposed. So again, I'm not disparaging Girona, but I, I will promise you by, let's pick an arbitrary date, by February the 14th, if Girona haven't 
won less than five, six points off the off the first place in the table, then obviously 100% I'm behind them. But there is still, when it comes to those teams who don't have the same depth as the, the quote-unquote Giants, then a, a long season does add up. Like one or two more injuries over, over the winter time. And, you know, that's why the fall is when they're most successful. And then they fall off come the spring because, again, one or two, three, four players that are important to them get injured for two to three, four weeks at a time. And now they drop results. So Girona, the way they're playing, I believe in that. Like I believe in what I see, if that makes sense. Like they are a title contender with what is on the field. But that group on the field does not have the depth and the luxury to lose players. They have to stay healthy and continue to play at this level, which again is possible. But yeah, so that, that's just my one caveat on Girona, where I completely I'm not taking anything away from what they are right now. They are have they have been the most enjoyable team in the league this season, and they deserve to have 28 points and be at the top of the table. But again, the depth is the worry. The worrisome thing for any team that's not Real Madrid and usually Barcelona and Atletico Madrid in the course of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, you don't want to sound harsh, then, but if I was for Barcelona fans, I really wouldn't be worried about Girona's results. They wouldn't be. In fact, I don't. When I see Girona, I think they won in the 94th minute on the weekend. I don't look at it and think, oh, you know, title contenders, because it's a sad reality in a way that they're not going to be there. Uh, that's 95% certainty. The team I'm looking at are Real Madrid, and even now Atleti, who, by the way, are having a really strong season. I think they're, they're growing under Simeone, uh, weirdly, almost a decade on. Um, and Griezmann and Morata look so good. So I think those are the two I'm worried about. Even La Real, who we're playing on the weekend, I think there's a there's a they'll finish above Girona this season, by the way. So, yeah, Girona have been superb. What a great advert as well for Catalan football and whatnot. But... Um, I don't think they're going to be up there. They're not a team, Dan, who I look at the who I look at their results and I think, ooh, tied to rivals. Unfortunately, I just don't. I do for Real Madrid. Yeah. Well, Pablo, where can I send all the Girona hate to you? So what do you, where are you available? <laughs> what, do you, what do you got going on? So, yeah, no, I got the Girona players coming for you. Or fans coming for you. Yeah, I mean, on Twitter, I'm Pablo W. Blanco. Um, recently changed my name from having an official in it, which had to be done. Um, so Pablo W. Blanco on Twitter. Obviously, I do stuff for a, a Cornish team here in um, in England, Mausel AFC, and that's where I'm on BBC Cornwall, like Dan said at the beginning. Um, and then, of course, the place where you guys might might find yourself most familiar is the the Meskiln podcast that me and John Cornforth and Bulga Luis, who's another Barca content creator, you might have heard of. And yeah, uh, John, the undefeated moustache John, you know, both did great stuff. We saw good friends. We got together and did one. So... Come and support that. If you go on my Twitter, it'll be in my bio. Um, and yeah, again, Dan, thanks for having me on and thanks for allowing me to promote the podcast and whatnot and, and get some good Barca chat going. That's such an important part of the season. Well, I think your punishment for getting to advertise is that you're going to have to come back. So uh, brilliant stuff, Pablo. Good job. So again, you can find his stuff down in the show notes and description, whether you're watching or listening. Then we're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You know where to find us, the Barcelona pod, Patreon, close Facebook group, all that stuff. Again, the best thing to do is always give a good rating on the podcast app of choice or subscribe to the YouTube channel, leave a comment, leave a like. All those things are really helpful. As I said, I want to thank everybody. Uh, special shouts as well um, to, to Ivan for getting in contact with me about the, the Pele documentary sponsorship. That was really cool. And again, the reason that happens is because people, again, give good ratings and subscribe on YouTube and just tell people that, hey, other people should be watching this stuff and again, do the same thing with Pablo, get them kickstarted in a good way. Uh, most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, tomorrow.